When you're acting as your doodle's teacher during training, do you know their learning style? Take our exclusive fun and free quiz to find out at thedoodlepro.com slash learning and make training more fun and successful. For my client teams who have breeds with thicker coats, it's doing that everyday assessment, feeling for lumps, bumps. Are there any mats in the fur, potential ticks, anything on the hike like sticks, mulch, debris, pebbles? that get lodged in their foot pads. To me, that's husbandry. That's every day. It's not a specialty thing. Or some people call it cooperative care, which Mm -hmm. to me, it's every interaction that we have with our animals. Even putting a harness on and off, the collar on and off, going on hikes. To me, that's husbandry. That's animal care. And Ken defines it eloquently in his book as well. But It's an opportunity for us second by second to be the eyes and the ears for our groomer and or our vet team and say, something's not right. Something's a little bit off and I'd like you to look at it before it becomes a bigger issue. Doodle breed dogs are easy to love, but can be challenging to parent. I'm doodle expert Corinne Gearhart, also known as the Doodle Pro, and I'm here to help doodle parents have a more fulfilling and rewarding experience with their doodles. No one has professionally worked with as many different doodle breeds or has more experience with doodles than I have. And I love to share my expertise in a fun, compassionate, and non-judgmental way. From my years of work and education in the pet care and dog training industry, I have an incredible network of skilled training, grooming, and veterinary professionals to share their knowledge with you and give you the doodle-specific answers you're looking for. I hope you enjoy today's episode as I help you parent your doodle like a pro. I've admired today's guest since I first saw her present on stage at a dog training conference. Her skills in husbandry and cooperative care are unmatched, and I truly admire how she starts from a place of empathy, not only for the dogs that we get to work with, but for the humans who love them as well. Enjoy part one of my interview with Laura Monaco Torelli today, and make sure to catch next week's part two, where we conclude our conversation. This is a fantastic guest that I feel so honored to share with you today. I am thrilled to welcome our guest today. If you work with animals, be it in zoos or with pets in training, you have already heard of our guest today. And I'm thrilled to share her message more widely directly to pet parents. Welcome, Laura. I'm so happy to have you. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. I know we've been emailing for a while and scheduling this to happen. And I'm a big fan of yours on social media. So I know we enjoy following one another and travel with the same friends and colleagues as well. So I'm the lucky one, and I have oh, one of my fine. dogs and Topolina, one of my little kittens, here oh. too. To kind of I help saw that sandals. tail swishing next yeah. to you in that little bed. <laughs> That's <laughs> the little Topolina and Santino, and our other pup is resting in the other room, and then our other cat, she's somewhere doing cat things. So yes. thrilled to be here. Thank you for Maybe having me. Maybe we'll see a little visitor come from yeah. behind you. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned your own little zoo at home there. For those who aren't familiar with your work, 
Can you share a little bit about the breadth of species that you've worked with, just to give an idea for our doodle parents? Oh, sure. Hello, hello, doodle lovers. I've started my career as a marine mammal trainer at the John G. Shedd Aquarium in Chicago 32 years ago now. So that was in 1991. If anyone knows of Ken Ramirez, he hired me when I was a young pup. I was still in college, but I had the qualifications to be offered a full-time animal care and trainer position. And I'm so thankful that my career began under that mentorship with Ken and Lisa Takaki was the supervisor of training very early in my career that really set the tone for how things have just set this amazing opportunity to keep learning from animals then over the subsequent years that followed. So started at Shed Aquarium with marine mammals. We had some penguins as well. And then was there nine years. And then San Diego Zoo offered me a job as a supervisory keeper, trainer, a lead is what it's called. And I sat down with Ken and Lisa and they're like, you've been here nine years. It's really time to spread your wings, leave the nest and work with other species. And so I went from marine mammals for almost a decade with birds to San Diego Zoo. And the only species that was in the department that I shifted to that I was familiar with were river otters because I got to help with the river otters in the aquarium part at Shed. Mm -hmm. We had sea otters. And then it was just like this full immersion of working with primates and reptiles and amphibians and helping to raise tiger cubs and working with just so many amazing species. It was like the the laws of learning applied from what I learned as a marine mammal trainer, mm-hmm. but the amount that I was learning about different species of animals and getting to know them and familiarizing myself with with them as an individual, not just species specific, but them as an individual. And then you layer on that working with the care team and the vet team. Oh. And it just kept, it was like, and then I'm a Chicago girl, maybe evident. I've heard I have a Midwestern Chicago accent, but I'm, I'm a Chicago gal. And then Brookfield Zoo offered me pretty much the same job, but back here. So I moved back to the Chicago area and then kept working with exotics and some rescue wildlife animals as well in that department. and recently been helping with wildlife rescue with raptor rescue and some small mammals as well at a nearby facility here in northern illinois so it's just been this yeah wonderful it's like all of a sudden a blink of an eye where have 30 years gone oh. so whenever i'm mentoring individuals that are newer to the field i'm like document like journal take photos because before you know it you're going to be like like all this time went Yes. I thank you so much for sharing that because for our listeners, if you think I've got a hard doodle, my dog is hard. Laura, techniques that could work with a tiger cub and a raptor, if she can be using these techniques with them, they are so applicable and can be so successful with your doodle. So I just love sharing the breadth of 
what you have worked with or who you have worked with. Thank you. And I often get asked, how did I get involved in working with dogs? And at Brookfield Zoo, the department that I was in, we had rescue dogs that were part of the children's zoo. And so when I accepted that position, I started to work with the four dogs that were in the department at the time. And we would bring them out and guests would get to meet them. We would talk about do you have a dog at home? What does grooming care look like? What do mm-hmm. vet visits look like? What do you do with your dog for fun? What do you love about your dog? And so we've got these beautiful pups with us. Um, at the time I was there, two were border collie rescues. And then the other two were just a mix of good things that yeah. were from a local rescue in the Chicagoland area. And it was just like a in-person, hands-on discussion as they're watching us work with the dog and Mm -hmm. using their food and some treats as a reinforcer and then just trying to bridge that as ambassador animals. And then hopefully the guests would leave from their visit at the zoo and then maybe look at their dog and say, if they're using food to reinforce part of the grooming procedure, maybe if Uh it's just, maybe if it's just pretending like you're looking for a little mat in the coat for just one second, and then following it with food, that's something we didn't think about. And that, so that was my way into dog training was oh, actually wonderful. through the zoo community, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> wonderful. So you mentioned looking for a little mat. Can you define for our listeners what, in your experience, husbandry and cooperative care mean to you? Uh, yeah, excellent question. And I'm going to swing it back to what I learned early from Ken Ramirez and He has a great book titled Ken Ramirez Animal Training. And I view every waking moment as an opportunity where our animals are always learning Mm -hmm. from their environment. And so to me, husbandry isn't a specialty behavior. It's an everyday behavior. I have shorter coated dogs. I have Rhodesian Ridgebacks. Smart. So I'm not, yeah, not like for any particular reason. It's just a beautiful yes. breed. But we've had this particular breed for over 20 years now. And being a shorter coated breed, we can identify things like lumps, bumps, anything that might be compromised in their coat condition or their nails, because we could see their nails easily. Yes. Every day, this is a shout out to my zoo and aquarium background where we would start every shift with doing a full walk around of all the animals that we were assigned to. So first thing in the morning after we check in and punch in and put our uniform on, Mm -hmm. we immediately walk the area and we do a visual of every single animal, whether it's a tarantula or a tree kangaroo or a sea otter or a parrot. We would immediately piggyback the night keeper cool. There would be like a night crew that they would be walking around overnight and checking on the animals. Um, And back then there weren't like video cameras all the time. Now I'm sure there's a lot of like video cameras, like monitoring. Live streaming into our homes of the penguins. And yes. (laughs) Like with our dogs at home. Yes. Do do you want video access to see what your dog is doing (laughs) or not? I don't know. You decide. But it would be this initial assessment. If are the animals okay? Is their habitat look okay? Is their gait okay? Are they walking okay? Did they hydrate overnight? Are they eating? Are there any 
social activities. So if like in my home, I've got multiple dogs, multiple mm-hmm. cats. And so that's something that I immediately do with my animals is before bed, everyone's good, right? Everyone's eating, drinking, eliminated things. The gate looks normal. We don't have any itchy ears. We don't have any nibbling at the paws, which could be indicative of a, a host of things. Yeah. And then thing in the morning, it's how's your coat? And so for my client teams who have breeds with thicker coats, it's doing that everyday assessment, feeling for lumps, bumps. Are there any mats in the fur, potential ticks, anything on the hike like sticks, mulch, debris, pebbles that get lodged in their foot pads? To me, that's husbandry. That's every day. It's not a specialty thing. Or some people call it cooperative care, which Mm -hmm. to me is every interaction that we have with our animals. Even putting a harness on and off, the collar on and off, going on hikes. To me, that's husbandry. That's animal care. And Ken defines it eloquently in his book as well. But it's an opportunity for us second by second to be the eyes and the ears for our groomer or our vet team and or our vet team and say, something's not right. Something's a little bit off. And I'd like Mm -hmm. you to look at it before it becomes a bigger issue. And I had a client once, the dew claw on her doodle, like grew back in and pierced the skin. And she Mm -hmm. said, I didn't know because she hates me handling her paws. And so I didn't identify it. So when you're talking about those full body checks, if we haven't done the investment in creating that happy experience for our dog for us to be doing those checks, we could be missing so much. And then when something's wrong and there's urgency in treating yeah. something, we're starting from behind so much. Yeah. And just to spring off two points on that is, yeah. and I'm just, I'm just surmising on this, but did her dog hate being handled because the dew claw was so painful, right? So hate yes, chicken or the egg, right? of avoidance. Yes. Okay. So if I have client teams come to me and say, my dog hates having me look at their paws, and I'll say, what does hate look like in observable dog body language terms? So when you say, hey, I know what it looks like with what your dog does. Yes. Or if it's within safety, I don't want anyone to get injured, dog or handler. Can you just take a 15 or 30 second video and email it to me about what the baseline looks like when you're trying to look at your dog's paw. Mm-hmm. Don't do not do it if you're going to get bit. And I don't want your dog to be so scared that right. just getting me this video or when I show up, we'll just watch a lesser version of what you're trying to do or a smaller approximation. But then two, you know, has our dog learned that moving and shifting away stops being touched and that that is an option that rather than us label and say i'm just going to say my older dog's name yeah santino knows to let me look at his paw he knows i'm not going to hurt him Mm -hmm. He, he knows it's not a big deal and i will help to support my client teams by first of all saying If you're scared to clean your dog's paw, you should feel scared. Feeling scared is a very real emotion, and I don't want to minimize that feeling. What about feeling scared to trim your dog's paws 
where on the spectrum of the steps to do it do you find yourself going, I'm not enjoying this? Yeah. And when are you I've tensing heard, up and yeah, reluctant? Like, and I've heard really um, valuable feedback of one, I feel like it's having a detrimental effect to my relationship with my dog. My dog hates me. So my dog hates having their paws examined or their dew claw assessed. And now when they see me approach them, they run away. And now that hurts my feelings. Yeah. So these are very real, right? They have me, lover animals. I love you. Why are you running away from me? And so then leaning on the laws of learning and using that as a, let's talk about how your dog getting space from you is an effective reinforcer. And how we can use that to our advantage. And then I will unravel a plan. For yes. That. And when you're describing how the pet parent can feel like I don't want my dog to feel fear with me and associate negative things and I feel bad, I'm doing this thing they hate. A lot of times it means that I'm going to bring them to the groomer more often or have the vet take them in the back and do the nail trims. I'm going, I'm not solving how my dog feels about it. I'm just going to have somebody else do the bad stuff. So I'm keeping my relationship feeling more intact. What are your thoughts about that as a strategy? More from the perspective of empathy and really trying to lean in and understand why. I'm going to use Santino again. Yeah. Santino won't let me check his foot pad. He will not let me trim his paws. It's very stressful. And so I'm just going to let my vet handle it or I'm going to let my groomer handle it. Mm -hmm. And first of all, I think that the fact that the owner is recognizing what I'm doing isn't building more of a positive association between me and my dog. And I don't want this to keep unraveling the way that it is. So just for an owner and and a dog family to recognize that feeling, I think is is a compassionate way to support their very real avoidance behavior yes. of doing it with their dog, and also saying this is not my wheelhouse, and my vet is much more fluent with it. But then I'll also ask my client. Plus, I have a, a veterinary certificate for training that I ask their vet to fill out that has yes. a handling section. But then I'll say, you know what? great. You are not obligated whatsoever to trim your dog's nails if it's stressful for you. So have you asked your vet, how does it go when your vet does it? If you're not in the room with your dog, or if you are in the room with your dog, what have you observed? Mm -hmm. And then I put that back on empowering dog owners to ask the vet team when they say, oh, your dog did great. And I'll say, oh, what did great look like? I love how you explain that. that. Yeah. What did it look like? Oh, he did growl. So we ended up putting a muzzle on him, but the muzzle wasn't that long. And I'm like, oh, so he growled at you. What part of the nail trim did the growling start? It's when the vet tech had to restrain him. And I'm like, so is it the restraint that's aversive or punishing? Or is it the nail trim? Mm -hmm. So then we're really digging in deeper where I'm like, it might not so much be the nail trim itself as it is the presence of a second person that's restraining your dog. So how often do we practice that? And then I right. just keep pulling this out. I pull it out. 
And it's helpful information. For groomers, I've had some client teams. I'm here in downtown Chicago. I've had some client teams, wonderful groomers here in the city where, you know, when they're asking, what are some tips that you want me to ask my groomer? And I'll say, so kind of pop out just two or three tips so the groomer doesn't feel overwhelmed by their trainer saying, well, my trainer said to ask you. The groomer's like, what's the trainer's name? Yeah, put a blocker on Instagram. Just things like when, you know, when you stage your puppy or or your newly adopted doodles first appointment, do some reconnaissance first and ask, can I come visit your grooming salon without my dog and just see what the setup looks like? Like, where do I pull up? Where do I stage and wait with my dog? Are other dogs around my dog? Because my dog is scared of other dogs. So if my dog is in a waiting area with another dog, that's going to sensitize them to be more on their threshold for the rest of the grooming to not go so well because they started off being close to another dog that they're scared of. And helping folks assess the environment first and saying, it's okay to ask. You're not micromanaging where I hear, again, I hear Ken saying to me as a young trainer, be a polite pest. It's okay to ask every now and then. Hey, how are things going with this? Or how's that job application I submitted coming along? Am I top on your list for an interview? But I think there's also a part of it where maybe some folks, they're so busy, right? They're busy mm-hmm. with their personal or their professional life. They love their dog to bits and pieces. But for them, it's, this is the vet and I trust them. And the vet says it goes great and I believe them. And my mm-hmm. dog goes in wiggly. They say, my dog eats the treats. I pick up my dog. My dog is wiggly with them. My dog hops in the car. I, I don't feel the need to know more, right? So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I hear all sorts of answers. All sorts I of find, that I like the polite pest way to put it. It gives the professional that you're working with permission to give you more detail that they might've thought would be uncomfortable. A lot of groomers are loath to work with, and we talk about this in other episodes, are loath to work with doodles because they feel like the doodle parents are hard on them if they need to be shaved or that it's, it could be a difficult conflict-ridden relationship right now. And to know there's no blame here, I would love to know if my dog was uncomfortable, what did that look like? Was it certain parts of the body? And then I can help work on it more at home. Exactly. That's giving them permission to be more direct as to what signs they saw so they don't look like they're complaining to their client either. And you really mentioned a really important point where which part of the body? Yes. So maybe in the grooming, it was all fun and games if it was like the Mm mid-torso. But then as soon as maybe the groomer got near the head to the right ear, perhaps there is an underlying your infection yes. that hasn't been detected yet. And, you know, hands up and applause for all the hard work that veterinarians and groomers do as well to also be the eyes and ears for the family to say, yes. oh, you might have not noticed this, but the dew claw is really long and you might have not noticed it at home or you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's such a really good point. Is there a certain part of the body where it just seems to fall apart? Yes. And I, every single time I go to the groomer, 
every time I say, I always want to learn more about how he's doing. So the more you can share with me, the more I can make this a better experience for him. And I find it starts with, they did fine. Do I get so much more detail, which equips me to help him more at home? And I let them know I'm open and happy to hear it. Exactly. And have you ever had experiences or maybe on on your other podcasts dealt with challenges with maybe some dog owners are just from the view of just get her done? Yes. Here's my dog. Maybe you see it three three or four times a year. I'm just throwing a number out. Oh, yeah. There's the every six months shave down. Yeah. Just get her done. I don't have time to keep coming back and forth. And Dr. Kelly Ballantyne, who's a veterinary behaviorist based here in Chicago, we talked about this at our Clicker Expo live presentation this past January. Uh, And Dr. Ballantyne was giving her expertise about the owner request of just get it done. But the vet team is coming back saying, we would like to stop. Because your well, dog that's the vet is I want to work with. So stressed. Yeah. And I know a lot of vet- veterinary practices here in Chicago that are really moving forward with programs where they invite, swing by, stop by more often for shorter duration, which is what I do with my dogs. But it's, it's that, it's that. I hate to say delicate conversation. It's finding the wording when we say we're going to call it because your Mm -hmm. dog is at their threshold and someone might get hurt. Like your dog might get to the point where they're going to bite to say, please stop what you're doing. I am biting to communicate louder and louder that this is becoming increasingly painful, stressful, whatever for the dog that's of value. But the owners are like, my dog is fine. Just get it done. Just put a muzzle on him and get it done. And yeah. that's hard, isn't it? It's very hard. I think there's a piece of not seeing the more subtle cues and not recognizing the level of stress when it's lower. And then I think almost some of it comes from like a level of love and care and anxiety Just like when I used to bring my babies, my human babies to the pediatrician, and I knew they were going to get vaccines and the nurse would pin them down and give the vaccine in their thigh. And it broke my heart to see my child restrained, but I had a greater fear of what would happen if they didn't get that MR vaccine, right? And so we were getting it done. And I give my children choice and consent and all these other different times in their life. And I think it could feel that way when it's eardrops or they need to get this injection or whatever, that there's a feeling of, I love my dog and I worry about their health. And the same can be with, I know if they don't get this haircut, they're going to get mad at and they're going to be in pain. It feels like you have duct tape wrapped around your body. So we just got to get it done or the nails. I, you know, And it could be pulling the ear out of the ear canal, just get it done. I don't see it as laziness in any way. I don't think people know there's a different way. Does that make sense? It does. And 
you you touch on another important teaching moment that a lot more practices and even grooming professionals are doing more and more of is having visual illustrations there, like in the exam room or maybe in their orientation for the new dog owner, the new puppy owner, yes. where when, when the groomer or the vet or even the trainer that's there helping, which is what mm-hmm. I do as a trainer to help make husbandry care less stressful, whatever, whatever like less stress could mean in that moment. Right? But just like you said, we're seeing the subtleties of, and then more of the vet clinics that I've been working with will have like Dr. Sophia Yin's yes. reading dog body language handouts behind them that, that Lily Chin illustrated, or they'll have the fear-free handouts that are available saying, so in these handouts, we see your dog lip licking more. Your dog mm-hmm. is, is hiding from us. Your dog is trembling. Your dog is. And so rather than say, your dog is getting really fearful, you're bridging it back to a really important point of observable, describable behavior of what we're seeing. And then I think about like toward Rugas's let escalation of stress, which I think yeah. is available, or Dr. Kendall Shepard's canine, like a letter of aggression, where if we don't stop right now, your dog is going to get to the red and then your dog is going to learn backing away didn't work. So now I'm going to growl. Growling didn't work and that got punished. So now I'm going to air snap. Air snap mm-hmm. didn't work. Now I'm going to bite. And you and I know about the six, I think it's the six levels of a dog bite. I think Dunbar's. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Yep. Ian Dunbar's handout about the six levels of a dog yep. bite. We're not talking play biting. We're not talking puppy soft mouth. And so again, just bridging it back to your point of, I try not to get into this wordy place where I'm like, here's some great handouts that have great illustrations, or here's an email with some links just to read a bit more about dog body language. This is what we're seeing. And this is Mm -hmm. why we're recommending that we stop the grooming process or we stop this, that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so these are loving parents that are really dedicated to their dogs. Yeah. Do you mind helping me explain why just get it done has fallout and why that isn't the route we want to take? First, I would ask the owner, what does get it done mean to you right now? What about this vet visit or this grooming visit? Do you want to get done? So I understand what get it done means to you. That would be my first question. And one one trial learning is very effective. So if I'm just going to use Santino as an example, my my older boy, let's say I bring him in for his vet visit. One of the things that I do proactively when I make the appointment is I'll ask the vet team, as Dr. Ballantyne says, what are your needs versus your wants? What do you need from Santino with this visit? But what do you want? And I split apart my dog's vaccines. I choose to not do multiple vaccines in one visit and my vet supports that. So if they say, your dog needs rabies. That's by law. That's you our need. Dog, that's our need. 
mm-hmm. uh, but they also need their updated distemper parvolepto. We need a poop sample. That's easy. I just bring it in the bag. We do need a, a wait before we can renew their heartworm pill. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, great. And then they might say, and we would like to check their prostate. So I'm like, okay, we're going to do that last. And so how about for today's visit, we'll do the rabies. Mm -hmm. Um, Jumping on a scale is less stressful for my dogs. So we'll do the weight first. We'll do some treats, maybe go outside for another sniff walk. And then after they get a little sniff time, a minute or two, we'll come back into the exam room. Yeah. My vet team does meet us outside and they will do some of the wellness exam outside while my dogs are leashed to me and I give treats. That's and that's something, something that you requested. Them. Yeah. Like that you, yeah. You've advocated yeah. for your dog for that. Yeah. And they're like, they're not worried about a flight risk. I'm not worried about a flight risk. And I'm not worried about a dog coming up on us at that moment. Mm-hmm. So to answer your excellent question, I will ask, what does get it done mean to you? And then I get the answer and I'll say, is it difficult for you to schedule these visits for grooming or vet visits with your dog because of your work schedule without me getting too personal? Like it's, it's really none of my business, but if I can understand where the get it all done comes from, maybe they have a seriously sick family member that finding caregiver for that family member, for them to leave the house to get what their dog needs is what's happening behind the scenes. Not really my business. Mm-hmm. So if I can be there as support to find out without intruding on their privacy, then I feel I can be more available to be present and listen to yeah. what get it all done means. Because I don't know what someone else is going through in their private life. And it's none of my business unless they offer it up. It might also be what you mentioned earlier, where maybe some of our listeners underestimated how much care is required for the breed. Thousand percent. Yeah, they just, it was way more demanding. People think non shedding, it's, we talk about this all the time that it's way more intensive than people anticipate it. And then, also, from a get it done perspective, is this broader scope of consideration of is this a recently rescued dog mm-hmm. who's older, so who has a learning history that we don't know? And maybe this dog has never heard a trimmer before. Maybe the dog mm-hmm. has never had a Dremel near them. So it's not just the visual stimuli, it's the acoustic stimuli, it's a proximity issue. Um, so then I will listen to the answer about. Let's just get it done. And then putting together a plan after that and saying, okay, maybe the vet or the groomer got it done. They give the dog back to the family with just a few bullet points just to say, we were able to get these needs done. These are some of the more of the wants that we have. And here's some handouts about how to read dog body language. And if a professional groomer or the vet team then have an immediate referral for, here's some great trainer referrals that focus Mm -hmm. on helping to make this less stressful. If it's in your budget, maybe you could reach out to them. That's what I do. And then we all collaborate to help 
So before the next grooming or vet visit, this is what I hope you do with your dog. And then I take short videos. I send them to the groomer. I send them to the vet team. I send them to the owner right away, full transparency. Yes. This is what we're working on. And we just craft it from there. But again, great question. I feel like I'm just passion talking. Which just is wonderful. To... <laughs> Thank you, guys. I have so much to say. Of course. Yeah, just getting it done. Now, there's also something that like for my dogs, if there's an emergency, like this, this is potential, like this is an emergency. This yes. isn't just a wellness checkup. I trust my vet team where I will say, you do what you need to do with them behind the scenes. I'm a mess. I am, I am a mess. I am in no course. You do not want me back there. But I've had my vet teams text me photos from behind the scenes to say, your dog is doing great. Oh. Here's a photo. I've had some of my clients and even during COVID where I would join them, I would be sitting in my car and they would virtual with me. Here we are. I'm just pointing to my phone. Here we are on the Zoom link, or there was another name of a link. Yes. And so you can see what we're doing, but you can't be in the room with us. Right. That's another option is to say, can you just take like a 30 second or a one minute video of what you would say, groomer, goes well with my dog? And then a 30 second or a one minute video of what you would identify as the stimulus where things start to fall apart. Is I it the it. sight of, is it the sound of the dryer? Is it the tub? Is it the, is it the water feature? Is it when you put the lather and you need to soap up my, like, where is it falling apart? Um, and that's helpful information because it's data. And that's where us trainers can hop in and say, that was really helpful. I like that a lot. It doesn't feel big brotherish. Like, why isn't there a camera so I can watch the whole thing in the grooming salon? But if you could just give me a little snippet so I can get an idea without hovering over your shoulder. Some parents have asked to do just that. I want to be there for the whole. And that can stress the groomer, just like all of us when we do our work and someone's right there. Yeah. <laughs> what about clients who say, my dog will let me if I restrain and they just need to get used to it, be it brushing, mm. nail trim, et cetera? a great question. Be sure to catch next week's episode where I continue my conversation with expert trainer, Laura Monaco Torelli. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Doodle Pro Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And I invite you to follow me on Instagram at the Doodle Pro for behind the scenes peeks at all of the adorable doodles I work with daily.